I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. This is Religion Today with Martin Tanner, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. Today's discussion is on the formation and purpose and inspiration behind the Latter-day Saint Women's Relief Society. It's a fascinating organization, one in which the broad parameters are well-known, but a lot of the most fascinating details remain elusive to many people. So I hope to share with many of you some of the details about the formation of the Relief Society that you may not know. Before we do that, however, I wanted once again to invite everyone who has interest to sign up and attend the conference over Labor Day weekend of the International Association for Near-Death Studies, which will be held in Salt Lake City, Utah this year. It only comes to Utah once every 20 or 30 years or so, so this is a wonderful event for everyone. I think the last time it was in Utah was in 1997, if I recall correctly. Everyone is fascinated by near-death experiences because they want to hear about the next life, and they want to hear about it from people who've actually glimpsed it. If that sounds like you, you're invited to attend the International Conference on Near-Death Experiences at the Salt Lake City Hilton over Labor Day weekend. You'll hear children's near-death experiences. You could listen to orthopedic surgeon Mary Neal describe talking with Jesus when she drowned in a kayaking accident in South America. You can hear Latter-day Saint Jeff Olson tell his fascinating and very, very popular near-death experience. You can hear Scott Drummond, who's also a Latter-day Saint, who has shared his near-death experience on YouTube and had over 17 million people listen to it. It will be fascinating. Professor Dan Peterson will be speaking. I'll be giving an outline about the near-death experiences in the LDS Church from the late 1700s to the present. And no, that's not a mistake in the years. There are people who later joined the church who had Latter-day Saint uh, heritage, of course, who had near-death experiences that greatly influenced their religious beliefs. Dozens and dozens of speakers to choose from. Anyone can attend Labor Day weekend, September 1st through the 4th. Huge early bird savings if you sign up before July 20th. Go to IANDS.org, IANDS.org. Sign up for one day, all four days, or just one presentation. Go to IANDS.org, that's INS.org. I think you'll enjoy it if you attend. All right, back to our topic. This is a great topic. In the spring of 1842, the Latter-day Saints were involved in building the Nauvoo Temple. It was hard work. The men 
and women who were involved in that effort were constantly tearing their clothing, wearing it out. And so there was a great idea that was thought of by Sarah Granger Kimball, who was a young Latter-day Saint woman. She was the daughter of Oliver Granger and his wife. So Sarah Kimball and a seamstress, Margaret Cook, discussed combining their efforts to sew and repair clothing for constructing the temple, for the temple workers. They also decided that this was a huge task, and they invited other neighbors, other women, to assist in the effort and create some kind of a ladies' society to do this, some kind of an organization. And so Sarah Kimball also asked Eliza R. Snow, yes, the famous poet in the LDS faith. She asked Eliza R. Snow to write a constitution and bylaws for the organization of this new society. After that happened, they took these draft bylaws and constitution to Joseph Smith for him to take a look. And after reviewing the documents, Joseph Smith had this fascinating comment. He said, these are the best I have ever seen, but this is not what you want. Tell the sisters their offering is accepted of the Lord. He has something better for them than a written constitution. I will organize the women after the pattern of the priesthood, close quote. Fascinating comment. After the pattern of the priesthood. So on March 17th of 1842, 20 Latter-day Saint women gathered together in the second story meeting room that was over the red brick store in Nauvoo, which was run by Joseph and Emma Smith. They were there to go over and discuss the formation of this lady society. Also with them were Joseph Smith and John Taylor and Willard Richards. What happened was that there was this discussion about the purpose and the platform and the ultimate goals which the Lord would have for this society. They started out singing the Spirit of God like fire is burning. And then the prayer, the opening prayer, was by John Taylor. And after that, the women present were Emma Hale Smith, Sarah Cleveland, Phoebe Hawks, Elizabeth Jones, Sophia Packard, a whole bunch of other women. I'm not going to list all their names, but there were 20 of them. And Nancy Rigdon would be a fascinating name that's in that batch, as well as Sophia Marks. The women present were proposed as the initial members. And at that point, the men left. They left so that all who were present could consider the membership of the women who were there. And then another seven names were proposed for admission, Sarah Higby and, and a number of others. And again, the men came back and discussed different things to help uh, assist the women with organizing the society, which was something that was not often done by women at that era. And so ultimately, 
after deciding who would be the initial members, Joseph Smith proposed the Relief Society elect a presiding officer and allow that officer to preside over the society. So the men were out of there. And in the place of a constitution, this Relief Society presidency would preside over and consider all decisions and act upon them. And this was to be organized after the same pattern and in the same basic way as the men's priesthood was. There were minutes of meetings that were taken from the very, very beginning. And this is a fascinating thing. In virtually every way, the Relief Society was put together, formed and organized and run by women in the same manner that the priesthoods of the uh, Latter-day Saint faith at the time were run. Joseph Smith was involved, and he stated that the object of this Relief Society would be for good works and for charity. And the original name that was proposed for the society was the Benevolent Society. And with no opposition, the vote carried. But then Emma Smith made this point of objection, and she convinced everyone attending that the term relief, as in Relief Society, would better reflect the purpose of the organization because they were, quote, going to do something extraordinary, close quote, and distinct and more benevolent than other groups and organizations of the day. Hence, the name was changed and the official first name was the Female Relief Society of Nauvoo. Joseph Smith and many other men and women donated money towards the beginning organization of the society so that it could get the things that it needed for clothing repair and for the other things that the society was going to be involved in. More about the Relief Society and how it impacted not just the Latter-day Saints and those constructing the Nauvoo Temple, but ultimately voting rights in the United States and in the world. Stay tuned. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Religion Today with Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We're back. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. If you would like to hear firsthand near death experiences, you are invited to the International International Association for Near Death Studies Conference in Salt Lake City over Labor Day weekend. You can go on the internet to iands.org to sign up, ions.org. You can hear one presentation or 50 if you would like. It's going over four days. You can go to one day or one presentation. Hear from people who have actually had a glimpse of the other side. It's a fascinating conference. There will be stories about 200 years of or presentations, not stories, presentations about near-death experiences in the Latter-day Saint community over the last couple of hundred years and many, many firsthand accounts of near-death experiences. All right, IANDS.org, go to IANDS.org. We're back. More about the Relief Society and its amazing influence on the rest of the world. 
as the Relief Society was formed and after it got its initial contributions, the new organization became very popular and grew so rapidly that it was difficult to find a place that was large enough for the group to meet. Under Emma Smith's direction, she'd been elected president. The society was divided for purposes of meeting because there just wasn't a single location big enough, according to each of the city's four municipal wards. And here we have an example of where the word ward comes from. Why do we call a place where people meet wards? Well, it was a political thing. It was voting locales at the time. So what happened was the Relief Society in Nauvoo had a meeting in each one of the four municipal wards or voting districts. And Emma Smith and her counselors continued to preside over the various groups. And they met and decided what the needs were in each one of the wards. And each one had slightly different needs and slightly different strengths and abilities. There were a number of people who were then, quote, united and were more like family than like strangers, close quote. By March of 1844, this would be just a few months prior to Joseph Smith's death, the Relief Society totaled more than 1,300 women. The last recorded meeting for the Relief Society in Nauvoo was held on March 16th of 1844. And it's fascinating that when the Relief Society was organized, that there was some amazing language used for that. The word ordained was used. The presidency and the members of the Relief Society were ordained to their callings. I also find that fascinating. What happened at this point in time was that, of course, Joseph Smith was killed, as, long, as well as um, Hiram, and the church was in chaos. The meetings of the Relief Society were abandoned, at least in large groups, but their service went on. There were not very many uh, women as the church moved west slowly over the next few years who had the ability to organize with other women for the Relief Society. But as they did move west, Eliza R. Snow joined the Latter-day Saints in, in their exodus in 1846, and she had with her the Relief Society Book of Records, and she brought them West. And so we, of course, have the surviving original minutes of the Relief Society and all of its subsequent meetings as well. After the church was well organized in Utah, the church Relief Society helped those in need in many, many different ways. And the Relief Society operated somewhat independently within each ward boundary. Now, one of the fascinating and little told stories about the Relief Society is its influence on women's right to vote. The women in the church, because they had been organized into a Relief Society in a way that mirrored the priesthood, 
they were seen by early Latter-day Saint men and by the church as a whole in a very different light than most women in other places in the world. And so, although you will hear claims that women had the right to vote in the 1700s in New Jersey, for example, it's not really quite the same as what happened in Utah, as I'm about to describe, because that was limited to unmarried women who owned land. And so, it's not quite the same. What I'm about to tell you is that because of the influence of the Latter-day Saint Relief Society in 1869, the Utah legislature was the first governmental body in the United States, along with its territories, and almost in the world. There were only a few other places that had, in a minor way, and usually temporarily, given women the right to vote, uh, and mostly with many strings attached, and in some cases given and revoked. But in 1869, the Utah legislature was the first body in the world to give women the right to vote, which lasted continuously and without restraint until the present. For a woman to vote in Utah Territory and in Wyoming Territory, Wyoming was next because of the Latter-day Saint influence, women had the right to vote in 1869 and in Wyoming in 1970 or excuse me, in 1870. Um, In 1869, Utah voted for women's rights, and in 1870, Wyoming voted and actually had the first elections in which women voted. The very next year, Susan B. Antony heard about all this and came out west, and she met with Latter-day Saint women on her visit to discuss with them how they got the right to vote, because she'd been working on this since the 1850s and had not succeeded. The next year after that, in 1872, so this is three years after the women in Utah and Wyoming had the right to vote, Susan B. Antony is arrested for trying to vote in the small town of Rochester, New York. She was held on a $1,000 bail, which is an extraordinary sum at the time. In 1896, 27 years after Utah, Wyoming, and Idaho granted women the right to vote, there were other states that began giving women the right to vote. In 1910, Washington state granted women the right to vote. In 1911, California did, 42 years after Utah. In 1912, Oregon, Arizona, and Kansas gave women the right to vote. This was 43 years after Utah. And in 1920, you had the amendment to the U.S. Constitution, for which Susan B. Anthony is given great and deserved credit, giving women the right to vote. This was 51 years after women in Utah had the right to vote. And why did all of that happen? It was largely because of the influence and the great wisdom of the Relief Society organization of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, in which from its beginning, women voted on its organization and on its tasks and were seen to do such an extraordinary job that the right to vote was seen as a natural thing by the men in the 
territories of Utah and Wyoming. And that is the story of how the Relief Society in the LDS Church greatly influenced the right of women's suffrage, giving women the right to vote everywhere. If you have a question about this program or a general religious question, feel free to send me an email. I'll be happy to respond. Send it to martinstanner at gmail.com, martinstanner at gmail.com. I'll be happy to respond. Join me again next week. This is Religion Today. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.